right. Well, good morning one more time. Thank you for being here on a very hot and humid Sunday. Um, if you are just tuning in with us um, this summer, we kind of changed our format a little bit. We're going to worship at the very end. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and speak. That also lets me talk however long I want. And um, so no more, no more timer. No, I'm kidding you. I'm on it right now. Um, but uh, thank you all for uh, being here. I want to catch you up if you are new to us. Welcome. Um, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Um, but we have been in a series called What in the World? And um, this, this will be our third part in that. And if you haven't been with us or you've been on vacation, um, I just want to kind of catch you up. And so part one, um, we talked about what in the world is wrong with me. And we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, and the main takeaway from that was that receiving has to start with recognizing that God is the source. So when we are in need, um, we have to recognize that we're at the end of ourselves, but we could be at the very beginning of Him. And so He is our source. And then part two was last week, and we talked about what in the world did I just do um, and we talked about uh, the battle that takes place um, in how we view our relationship with God between religious rules and relational rest, that there comes this time in our maturity where we're not just living for God out of fear of discipline, but we're actually in a relationship with God, and that's where our obedience comes from. So not not to get caught up on religion and the rules or dogma that we can create and build around that, but to focus really on the relational aspect that God loved the world, and that's why He gave His Son. It was out of relationship, not out of rules. So today I'm going to continue this. And I am going to have to take two parts for this next, next um, sermon. And so uh, I'm going to set us up today with it, and then next week I'm going to come in and finish it. Um, it's, it's called the one-two punch. And so um, I'm going to talk about the Trinity today, and then I'll talk about the Holy Spirit specifically next week. Um, we do not talk enough about the personhood um, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is a great opportunity for us to just kind of take in a deep breath and, and kind of collect our thoughts on, on, on this. And so today I'm going to make an attempt to tackle a very, very big topic. This topic has actually split de de decisions religiously. And so uh, people have said, well, I'm not on that side of the fence, so I better go over here and join this group um, over this topic that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. And so I just want to encourage you to be here and buckle up for it and then go home and study because there's no way that I can cover in an hour of teaching uh, between two weeks uh, this, this big, big topic, okay? But I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 23. And I'm going to read it from the Good News Bible just because I liked how it was worded, but this is what it says. It's giving us a warning, and it says, Be careful how you think, because your life is shaped by your thoughts. So the, the author is, is challenging us right off that what, how we're thinking uh, creates perception. A lot of times how we perceive creates emotions. Emotions can become 
motivating forces for us. Uh, they can create the lens by which we see the world. And so how you think about stuff is very, very important. And if you allow it as a follower of Jesus to go unchecked in, in, in many dif different ways, it, it can aim the trajectory of your faith in the wrong, in, 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 in the wrong way. And so be careful how you think your life is shaped by, by your thoughts. In America, in our culture, we, we certainly value our thoughts. Historically, we've really been known as a country of reason. That we had the ability to sit in a room and disagree and come out okay. Um, that, that has changed um, over the past couple of hundred years but we value our thoughts and our viewpoint individually way too much. The exaltation of that viewpoint has led to a culture of relativism, meaning this, what's true for you is truth for you, and what's true for me is truth for me. So let's all just hug after that. Okay, It's like... You take your true things and make them truth, and I'll take what I perceive as true and make it truth for me, and that's going to be the driving force. And there's no longer these columns that are unmovable, um, and it's found its way into the, the church. The church now has, has a lot of things that are very vague, and, and now what used to be black and white had, now has a lot of gray. And so our opinions, our viewpoints, um, we are, are exalting them and lifting them, them up. And there's nothing wrong with intellect. There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. That's not where I'm, I'm going with it. What I am saying is taking that and making a belief over it when it's in, inaccurate. And so the problem is viewpoints can stink. And viewpoints can be critically incorrect about all kinds of things. Okay, now let's take let's take one very simple thing: parents, you and your children have completely different viewpoints on the definition of old. Okay, now they think that you're old, and. Um, you know, when my dad, I remember when he was like 45, I was thinking we should probably see an attorney and talk about a will. You know, um, my daughter thinks kind of old. Our children think the iPhone they got two years ago is old. Um, they can look at the shoes that you bought them in March, and they think they're old. But you and I as parents, we have things in our closet that we've had a very long time. And some of you do have, have a problem. Okay, Like that t-shirt you had in high school, it, it should probably go. Go Marie Kondo on that thing. When we think about viewpoints, and my goal in bringing this up is because we have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of viewpoints, and we bring those to church, and we have a lot of thought and a lot of viewpoint about God, and that's good. So we have a lot of thought about God, we have a lot of thought about Jesus Christ, and we have a lot of thought about the Holy Spirit. And we look at these 
three entities that are very clear and defined in Scripture, and we get emotions and thoughts and perceptions about each one of them. And we say, well, this is what God is like, and this is what Jesus is like, and then this is what the Holy Spirit is like. Now, I've told you many times that I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and we used to have in the Pentecostal church, it was good cop, bad cop. So God God was the bad cop, and Jesus was the good guy. So God was there to hit you with a hammer and open holes in the ground and send people to hell, and Jesus was the one who was like, no, wait a minute, let's all calm down and think about this. And that's kind of the way things were taught. And then there's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about him more next next week. But we have we have all of these these thoughts about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's challenging to talk about one and not the other. And so today I'm going to try to collectively bring our whole faith system in, into one introductory. Uh, thought process and say, this is why we're following. This is why we've chosen the lifestyle of being believers. And I've told you, as an interdenominational church, it's okay that we don't see eye to eye on this. So anything that I talk about over the next two weeks does not mean that you got to leave and go find a, a different church. It just means that you're going to see things differently, and that's okay. All right, And so I think that we have to hop in and we got to start with this question. What is God truly like? Now, this is loaded. Okay, and we would all have, if this were a life group topic, what is God truly like? Man, we would talk for hours. We'd have to put on another pot of coffee. Because all of us are going to have experiences that relate to faith. And we're going to say, well, according to me, this is what God has been like. This is what God is like. And we have like a testimonial time to say this is what God was like like for me, and this is what God was like for my, my kids, and this is what God was like for my grandparents. And we incorporate all that now into our own walk. This is what God is truly like. Now, I didn't know how much information there was on this particular question until I got into college, and I realized it was an infinity. It was endless. It seemed like everybody had a book, everybody had a thought, everybody had a paper, Mankind has searched this out with both great intention and great frustration. Because just when you think you can wrap your mind around God, you realize you can't. And it drives our humanity mad because we are calculated, we are organized, we are compartmentalized, and we want this creator of the universe whose hand spans it to be able to be put into one of those compartments. That's what we want. We want full and clear knowledge and understanding of God, and the autonomy of that drives us nuts. Man, I just can't fully understand you, and I can't fully understand your plan, and I can't fully comprehend who you are. And it drives me nuts, and it's hard for me at times to follow, I'm, I'm talking about us in general, it's hard for us to follow when we don't fully see it. Paul called it like looking into a glass darkly, that we can see it, but it's just not clear. Like we, we kind of have the idea, we have the concept, we, we've heard the stories, we know, kind of, but when it all boils down, we just can't put God under a microscope and I want you to know that we really need to take a lot of peace in that. 
Because if we could fully understand God, He wouldn't be God. You would be God. If you could fully understand Him. So when, when we look at this and we think about all of these things that we have pondered and we've put, tried to study out, amidst all of that pondering lies an obvious truth. And, and it's actually a life principle. But it's this, you cannot trust God unless you know God. So I think that you have to differentiate between knowing God and understanding God. So I think on some level, every person in the building knows God, even if you're not following Him. You know Him. You've been in church your whole life, but you're not really following Him. You know God and not completely understand Him. Paul even says in his writings that the goal of his life was to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. He said, you know, I've, I've written a lot of letters. I'm trying to coach pastors. I'm trying to plant churches. I mean, I'm at the tip of the spear on this doctrine thing. But what I really want to do is just to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's my goal. It's to just discover Him, to know something more about Him tomorrow that I didn't know this morning. That's what Paul is saying. I want to know Him. I want to know Christ. So I want to begin with a little bit of doc doctrine in. And the Trinity is comprised of three distinct persons. He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit, but He's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And when people ask me, they say, Kevin, are you Trinity or are you oneness? My answer is yes. So do you believe that, that God is one? Yeah. Do you believe He's three? I do. And it's so confusing that even Billy Graham made this statement. He said, I, it's hard for me to fully understand it, so I just accept it as a revelation of God, that this is something that He will just have to reveal. It's something that He is the only one who knows it completely. It's, it's revelation to God. Okay, And so Augustine made this statement. He said, if you deny the Trinity, you will lose your soul. But if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind, right? And so today, I get the opportunity to try and explain this, and hopefully I will not fall into either one of those pit pitfalls. No analogy of the Trinity is adequate. Or growing up in church, they used to talk to us about the egg. Okay, so there was the shell, the yolk, and, 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 and the white, and they would say, this is what the Trinity is like. And I'd say, man, that's, that's messed up. My favorite one is the pretzel. The way the pretzel interlocks, you got three distinct holes. One hole would represent Father, one the Son, one the Holy Spirit, but they all intertwine to make one pretzel. Okay, don't try and figure it out. Just chew on it. Pretzel. There's three verses that really anchor us to this, and I want to bring all three of those up this morning. Two in the Old Testament, one in the New, and then we're going we're gonna to go from there. Genesis chapter 1. There, this, this verse, I would have to say, there are, there are several verses that really feed my faith, and a lot of times when I get confused or I feel myself getting off, I will revert back 
to one of these verses. This is one, okay, and it's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And it just says, in the beginning, God. I find so much peace in that. So first things first, in, in the beginning, He was. That there was nothing before Him. Again, in our humanity, we can't comprehend it. That's okay. That's why it's called faith. And so we know that there was nothing before Him. In the beginning was Him. He knows all things. He's in all things. He's of all things. And so in the beginning, God, and for some reason, my soul just rests in that. But this word God in the Hebrew, when they use this word, it refers to Elohim. Now, Elohim is a very, very, very old word. And when they wrote this out, when this was translated, in the beginning, God, Elohim, it meant this, deities, plural, and it also meant combination, the word combination. So a combining of deities is what Elohim means. So when he says, in the beginning, God, he was saying, in the beginning, there was this combination of deity that all three that we talk about and think on and feel are interacting in our lives were all present in the very beginning. You cannot have one without the other. And it says, They created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now what's important about this is when they refer to Spirit of God, it is not the word Elohim. And so it starts to create this clue of going, there's more going on than a singular entity present. We also know, know this, that Spirit of God was not the one who spoke, let there be light, let there be affirmment, let, let, let there be fish in the sea, fowl in the air. That, 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 was not, that was not Spirit of God, but He was present. Okay? And so now let's go on to Genesis 1 and 26, so 25 uh, verses later. And it says, Then God, okay, again, the same word, plural, Elohim, combination of deities, says, Let us, okay, plural pronoun, make man in our, plural pronoun, image, according to our, plural pronoun, likeness. So there's a lot of our and us involved in that particular verse. Let us do it, our, and so on. So again, there's a clue. And so this verse really makes no sense without the doctrine of Trinity, without knowing that there are personhood involved here. Now, I had a college professor say this, so I'm going to repeat it, and I want you to know that he said it and not me in case you get offended. But he said, listen, guys, God is either one of two things. He is either schizophrenic, okay, or he's really three people. And you got to choose which one that you want to go with. And so let's go to the New Testament verse, Matthew chapter 3. Again, this is really good, verse 16 and verse 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. Now this is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a curveball today. Some of you are gonna be upset about this. I've taught this be, before, but I'm gonna spend just a little bit more time on it. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and this is what this breaks down to 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 say. Jesus sees the Spirit of God 
descending like a dove. Now, what we did is we read that, and we said a bird landed on his shoulder. That the Holy Spirit came down, and a dove landed there, and you know what we did? We made it sacred. So we started carving doves out and stuff and putting them on, on the cross up there, perched up there. And we started burning them and etching them into the end of pews. And, and people started getting tattoos of them. Uh, and, 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 and we think, you know, some, some of y'all laughing because you got one. And, and so, but watch, there's this one word that we didn't see, and it's, it's the word like. Because this word, like a dove, the word there is hosai, and that, that, that word means similar to, and meaning the description of a dove. Meaning that he saw the Spirit of God coming down upon him, and it was graceful. And it was peaceful. And it was, rest, it was all these things that people would describe as watching a dove's behavior. But in our, in our Western minds, we're like, hey, little buddy, what's going on up there? Here's a cracker, you know? It's like a pirate and a parrot, you know? It's like Jesus and a dove. But what it truly means is that the Holy Spirit came at like, like Hosai, similar to, characteristics of a dove. And then, and then a voice from heaven come, this is my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. You guys know this verse. But again, what I'm saying is you get this, this, this triune presence of the Father's voice and the physical manifestation of the Son of God in Jesus. And then the presence of God, the Spirit of God, like a dove coming down and resting upon Jesus and Him becoming anointed by the Father. Incredible moment. Again, Trinity. So I want to look at the involvement of the Trinity in our, in our lives. I just spent 23 minutes in my in introduction. I may have to drag this out three weeks. So let me, let me go through some points and show you the interaction of all three of these in our lives really quick. The Father establishes concern through friendship. And, and some of you have struggled for a long time with this because you just had bad teaching. It's like everything that you read and think and perceive about God, you're thinking about he's, he's nasty and he's mean and he can't wait till judgment day and he just, all, all of these things, and you've missed the friendship. And, and, and you don't see it. And so when Jesus came, he did such a great job of telling them, you, you have missed the Father. You, you've totally missed it. And so what I'm going to do is reveal to you the characteristics of the Father. That's what Jesus was doing. So this starts by settling an issue. You remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Well, I think every good doctrine starts with wrestling. you got to have a time in your life where you wrestle it out. And you may be here today and you are not following Jesus. You know a lot about God. You know a lot about church. You know a lot of Scripture. But you're not following Jesus. It's because you are wrestling it out. And you are in this, in this fight with God and, and you're going back and forth and back and forth and why and how and what and when and you're trying to reason and make it all make sense and you're in this tussle with Him. 
So you, you ask yourselves things like, does God care about my problems? Does he care about my hurts, the things I'm going through, the stress I'm under, the relationship I'm in? And until you settle this, you are not going to trust God. And you will never know who you don't trust. Because if we think that God doesn't care, why would we have any interest in all at knowing Him? Unless you are one of those people who are like, I've got to know Him or else I'm going to be sent to hell. And that's a different sermon. But there are so many people, and it saddens me as a pastor, there's so many people who say, I come to church and I give and I serve and I do and I have a list of rules because I don't want to go to hell. And it's nothing about relationship. I need to preach about that sometime. Does God care about the details of your life? He does. Does He care about your house payment? Yeah. Does He care about the fact that your kids need braces? Yeah. Does He care about the grades you get at school? Yeah. Does he care about whether or not you marry the right person? Yes. Does he care about your mood? Yes. Does he care about your financial investment? Yes. Does he care about your ambition? Yes. Does he care about whether you're a success or a failure? Yes. And in James chapter 2 and verse 23, we, we know this, that Abraham was referenced as the friend of God. How awesome is that? His Father, Creator of the universe, Everything that we think, you know, the epitome of deity, that Abraham is my friend. Enoch is my friend. Elijah is my friend. Don't miss that. Okay? In your theology, in your doctrine of God, don't miss that. The second thing, the Son establishes confidence through forgiveness. Now, we touched a little bit on, the, on this last week. But He establishes our confidence through forgiving. I want you to think of your life before following Jesus as an Etch-A-Sketch. Okay, it's all messed up. It doesn't make sense. There's so much on there. There's no room for margin. There's no room for growth. You have to explain the whole story when you show it to people. And then God took your Etch-A-Sketch and He turned it upside down and He shook it real good and you got a do-over. The Gospel according to Etch-A-Sketch. Why is this important? Because good counsel will tell us that guilt and resentment, the guilt of things that I've done to you and the resentment over what you've done to me are the two most destructive emotions in our lives. And guilt and joy cannot coexist. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be confidence found in that I am forgiven and you are forgiven. That we're not going through life with guilt and, and resentment. That we're not trying to build a house where guilt and joy try to coexist and they're always slamming doors and ignoring each other. I saw a sign at a gas station one time and it said a clean engine gives more, more power. Well, you know what? That's true with a conscience too. And the reason so many people are fatigued spiritually is because they have a big old garbage bag, a big old contractor's bag of guilt. But the Bible says in Colossians 1.14, God has purchased our sins, our freedom rather, with His blood and has forgiven what? All of our sins, all of them. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything we've ever done is under His blood taken care of. 
so we can have confidence through our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, how does he do that? Well, the Bible tells us that he has a lot of authority. The Bible calls him Almighty One, Alpha, Omega, Perfector of Faith, Bread of Life, Son of God, Healer, Faithful, Good Shepherd, High Priest, Emmanuel, Indescribable Gift, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lamb of God, Light of the World, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Mediator, Messiah, Redeemer, Rock, Shield, Banner, Resurrection, The Door, The Way, The Truth, The Life, The Word, The Vine, The Rose of Sharon, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Friend That's Closer Than a Brother, Fourth Man in Fire, Bridge Over Water, Waymaker, Promise Keeper, Strong Tower, Water Walker. These are just a few of the things that he's done under the authority of his sonship, and he's not afraid of what we have done. It's over. Confidence. Through forgiveness. That's what he brings to us. So I got 60 seconds left. Let me touch on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit establishes change through fortitude. Many of you have asked yourself, why am I still the same person I was a year ago? Why are things in my life not being transformational? Here's the answer to that. You are not full of the Holy Spirit. And this is, is, is a very important part of the, uh, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the, the word fortitude is courage. It's backbone. It's true grit. That's what this means. And the Holy Spirit is the one who forges change. Like puts us on the anvil and shapes us in times of, of weakness and in times of storm and in times of trial. He says, I'm a comforter. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to forsake. I am present in times of trouble. I, I am the tangible presence of the Father. And so for some of you, and this is so sad to say, when you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of Casper, the friendly ghost. It's like this little entity, that, like, like a, something under a sheet, you know, that comes around and does weird things. Some of you are like, I don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit because He's the weird one. And so your image of the Holy Spirit, this forger, this one that puts us on the anvil and shapes us, is like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And it needs to be like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Like people need to walk up to you and go, is that, is that your bodyguard? No, it's just the Holy Ghost behind me. We have this image in us that we don't need Him, that it's spooky, that it's odd, that it's weird, but it, he ignited an entire New Testament church. The story of Jesus has been pushed forward 2,000 years because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me give you just a taste of what I'm going to do ne next week. Worship team, if you guys will go ahead and come.
We know this. He's the giver of power. Acts 1.8. You, you will receive power. Here's, here's where we split hairs and where denominations end is we get confused about the definition of power. Because some people feel like it's like I got something in my hand. I'm about to put it on somebody. You know, we think, we think it's this kind of power. What if it's the power to transform? It's the power to overcome. The word there is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. Explosive, transformational, never be the same power. Imagine holding a piece of dynamite in, in, in your hand and waiting for it to go off. You are never going to be the same. That's, that's why this word was wrote intentionally dunamis. Power. Life-changing. Away with the old you. Away in, in with the transformed you. Because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of you have taken that word power and you've made it like, like a cartoon. Like superhero type stuff. But it's transformational, life-changing power. We know that He's the producer of fruit. Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all need it. We all want it. We need to spend a year even talking about this stuff and getting it back in our lives. We know that He's the helper. John 15, 26. The helper will guide you into all truth. He's a mediator in John 16. And He is the giver of gifts. We're going to talk about that next, next week. He's the giver of gifts. Whether we realize it or not, He's generous. He's full of dunamis. He wants to transform us. It's how you go from being you to being more like Christ is through the presence and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me really quick today. and just want to pray over us.